The message I'm going to share tonight, I want to delve right into it because I think this is a message in season. Last week, when I had all of those testimonies in one week, it was awesome. We always love, love, love to hear God just, uh, just open the gates of heaven and pour out his grace. But at the same time, I had this compassion that was really, really cutting me deep in my heart for those that haven't yet seen that in their own lives. And it was, it, was a, uh, it was so deep, it was like, okay, God, I know that you're trying to tell me something to tell your people. Because sometimes, and I've been in this place, sometimes when you're hearing all of those good, good, good reports, yes, they are good reports. And yes, you are happy. But then you look and say, but God, what am I? not doing or why haven't I received or, or there just might be stuff that all adds up together to cause disappointment or discouragement and possibly even losing the hope that you had had in the goodness of God. So I want to teach on that tonight because bottom line, it's a deception of the enemy. The bottom line, it's the bait of the enemy. It's one of his baits that he can use to get us off, off of our track of being steadfast in faith. So I want to teach about it. And here's, I'm, I'm just going to give you one nugget and just keep this kind of as the framework of everything that I talk about. And that is, where's the anchor of your hope? You know, many of us, the anchor of our hope in the world especially, the anchor of our hope is getting that good report. That's where our hope is focused. Getting the, the all clear from cancer. Having the pain leave that you've been living with or the injury healed or whatever. So our hope is on that thing being fixed, being healed. But that's not where our anchor should be. Our anchor is way better, way bigger. Our anchor is a person, and his name's Jesus. He's a living hope. I'm going to be sharing a scripture later on. I believe it's Colossians 1.27, and it's a familiar scripture. It says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're really going to keep that as a focus tonight, that Jesus and keeping our eyes on Jesus and knowing we don't even just have to keep our eyes on him. He's in us. He's the living hope that resides in us. So I'm going to just get started. First, I want to define hope according to the word, according to the Bible. This isn't the world's definition. This is the Bible definition. Hope is a favorable and a confident expectation, a joyful anticipation of good. This is just for you, Alice. Joy-filled anticipation of good. But here's the key. The object of our hope, the source of our hope, is God, his faithfulness and his promises. We're going to keep coming back to that. I'm going to divide this into two halves. The first half is about the hopeless part because we want to expose a lie and get it out of there. And then we want to replace it with the hopeful part, the truth. So hopeless, the, the suffix less means without. So hopeless is without hope. And this is very common in the world. This is, I call it the default of the world. This is the world's way. If you're conformed to the world, this is the way the world does it, and it's not good. But what the world does is when your personal life takes a hit, whether it is in your health, in your family, in your finances, whatever it is, when you take that hit, if the, if the, the problem isn't solved quickly, <coughs> then there's all sorts of residual effects, all sorts of residue, disappointment, confusion, discouragement. And the bottom of that pile is being completely hopeless. Proverbs 13, 12 puts this in a scripture. There's two parts to the scripture. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. So again, we're going to look at each part. We're going to start with the hope deferred part. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The word heart in this scripture is referring to the inner man or the soul. We're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. In the spiritual realm, it's done. Jesus did it all. He paid the price for our everything. 
And that's a whole other teaching. But he paid the price, including healing. And if you don't understand that, or if this is the first time you're here and you don't know, understand, or believe that, please get somebody with a tag and we'll show that to you in the word. But our second part of our being is our soul, and it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. This scripture says that hope deferred makes your heart or your soul sick. And that word sick means diseased or grieved or wounded diseased or grieved or wounded. So we're going to look today at being spiritually sick, having a sick heart, having a sick soul. And the Bible says that hope deferred can do that. Hope, the object of your hope that's not realized. Now again, that depends on where the object of your hope is. If the object of your hope is that that um, pain leaving or the cancer diagnosis being um, switched to uh, healed. If that's where your focus is, if that's the object, and if that is deferred, that's when sickness of heart can happen. So what I want to do right now is kind of paint a picture of what that sickness might look like. So, um, oh, first I want to, I want to say this. Um, according to that scripture, Proverbs thirteen twelve, there is two opposites warring for your heart. The enemy is hope deferred. The enemy is the one that wants to defer hope. So you take the bait, get in that place of hopelessness. Because if you're in that place of hopelessness, your faith isn't rising up to receive the amazing gift that's already yours in the spiritual realm. But God's also there saying, you're my baby girl. I don't want you to take that lie. God's best is for our desire to be fulfilled and to be steadfast in that place of being a tree of life. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So there's two things, warring for the real estate of your soul. Hope deferred or hope realized. So now I want to go through that spiritual infection of hopelessness and show you what that looks like. In the natural, if your immune system, in the just plain old everyday life, if your immune system is compromised, you're more likely to get an infection. That can happen in a lot of ways, you know, all, you know the scoop. If you don't get enough rest, if you're not eating healthy, if you're stressed, etc., etc., your immune system can become compromised and you're more likely to, to, to get sick. If your immune system is strong, then God created us with this amazing immune system to not let you get sick. So if something is trying to attack you, your immune system says, oh no. And like we learned in elementary school, there's all these little, you see a little army going on in your bloodstream, killing that disease, because that's how God created us. But in the spiritual realm, we can also have a compromised spiritual immune system. And this is kind of how it happens. First of all, if our hope, if the object of our hope is having that good report, and if we haven't seen it yet, it's almost as if our spiritual immune system is starting to get weakened, little by little by little. And the enemy, his, his bait, his goal is to subtly, he doesn't do it in a great big loud bang, he does it very subtly, to pull us away from our foundation of faith. And the way that that often happens is through questions. As you're waiting for that thing to come, you're starting to ask questions. You ask questions about the, the promises in the Bible. You ask questions about if you're doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. There's just questions. There's concerns. There's sometimes confusion. Now, questions can be and are very important and very good for your development. Questions are good. But those questions are only good if they cause you to go to God. If, if when you have those questions, the first thing you do is run to your daddy with your questions, they're good. Because God's there for you, and he's going to answer those questions, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to give you direction. And when you run to God, you're agreeing with God. When you run to God, when you run to his word, you're coming into agreement with him, and that's all really good. It's going to build you up. But those questions can also do the opposite. If you're not running to God with the questions, if instead of running to God, you're trying to reason everything out, 
that's when it can get dangerous. And those questions, instead of causing you to be in agreement with God and running to God, can do the opposite. And they can cause you to even question God or question what you're believing about our amazing God. Question your um, interpretation of the word. Question what you've been taught about the word. It can cause all kinds of questions. And a sick heart is when you no longer believe the goodness of God. The, the diseased heart is when somehow you've shifted your believing into believing that God's not always good or that God's doing this for a certain reason or, or, or something like that. So what I want to share with you right now are three symptoms. You know, if you're fighting an infection, there's often symptoms that point to that infection. You know, a fever or fatigue or whatever. So we're going to look at some symptoms of having the sickened heart or this diseased heart. The first symptom is, are you attributing to God bad stuff? Are you denying God's true nature and embracing sickness and disease as a gift from God? Now, there's all... Um, uh, realms of doing that. It might be just a little bit. It might be a whole extreme saying, this is for the glory of God. This sickness that I'm living through, this cancer is for the glory of God. That's a lie. That is a lie. It's actually blasphemous to attribute to God the work of the devil. The way that I see, and I'm very black and white, but I will stand on this all night long, all day long, every minute of every breath that I breathe, that there's a line in the sand, and if it's bad, it's the devil. It's not God. Because my God is a good daddy. If it's good, it's God. So if you're starting to question whether that sickness is somehow um, glorifying God or or teaching you a lesson or whatever, and that's why you have it, then it's a sign that you might have some sort of an infection going on. I remember when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was at a a Bible study that they started in my classroom, in my school, just for me, because I was diagnosed with cancer. So all these ladies were coming to this Bible study. And the first one, the first study, the question came about, about why Sickness, you know, why do people get sick or why don't they get healed? That big, big, big question. And one of the ladies sat at the table and she said, well, it's because God's teaching us a lesson or he needs to teach us a lesson. Here I am with stage four cancer. They all know it. And it was like, wow, that was like a kick in the gut, you know? But I wasn't denying it because I didn't know any better. My friend who was leading the study went right to the word and shared the truth of the word. That God doesn't punish. He doesn't try to teach us lessons with sickness. He doesn't do that. He's a good father. So if you're attributing to God the works of the enemy, it's a sign that maybe you're, the enemy is giving you this bait and you're trying to process it all and figure it out and make it fit. The bottom line is, who's Jesus? What does his word say? That's where we look for truth. So that's the first symptom. The second symptom, and this is a very big one. This is a very, I see this all the time. And that is looking completely at yourself, focusing on yourself, looking inward instead of upward. And as you do that, you're often blaming yourself. So you haven't yet seen the full finished work. Jesus did it, but you haven't yet seen it. And so you start blaming yourself for not receiving for some reason. You ask questions like, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? Am I doing enough? Do I have enough faith? If you're looking inward and asking yourself all those questions, it's actually a hindrance to your faith. Your faith kind of fizzles out because you're so worried about not doing the right thing or not doing enough of the right thing. But the opposite is true. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, because it's not our work, it's his work, and it's a done deal. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, faith rises up. If you put your eyes on Jesus and on the finished work of his cross, faith rises. And it just that's just the side effect. That's what happens. I have to stop right now and share um, uh, one of the testimonies that I wasn't going to share because it fits right into this. A woman came two or three weeks ago, 
And this is exactly what she was doing. I know she wouldn't care if I shared this. Um, I know she wouldn't care. I know the woman. I know she wouldn't care. But this is exactly what she was doing. She'd been diagnosed with breast cancer, and it had gotten much, much worse instead of better. And she's a very strong woman of God. She knows the word. She knows the truth. So she was standing on her own spiritual strength. Can, can you turn this down just a little bit? I'm really, I feel like I'm overpowering everybody. And, and she was so strong spiritually that she was a doer and she was strong and she was doing, 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 but she hadn't yet seen anything happen in her body. In fact, it was getting worse. She drove away from the west side of the state, so she's not here every week. But I talked to her that night and I, and I really helped her to shift her focus away from herself and to Jesus. I had just done a series called Entering the Rest. And the key to entering the rest is simply believing that what Jesus did is more than enough. We don't need to add our own works to his work. Our part is to believe in his finished work. She called me one week later. One week. And she said, Cindy, I can't begin to tell you the difference. She said, with that one tweak, that one shift in my belief and in my thinking and in my speaking, things have started to change in my body. She had one arm, that she had breast cancer on the right side and her right arm was like twice as big as the, her other arm and it was very painful from the lymph node um, activity of the cancer. And she said, my arm is almost completely back to normal. And she could physically feel the tumor shrinking in one week. And this is what she changed. Instead of buying the bait, the spiritual infection, and she was getting pretty near close to hopeless. But instead of buying that, she, instead of completely looking at herself, she did a shift. And she started looking at Jesus and not at herself. So that's the second symptom. The third symptom is, again, it's a very subtle one. And um, the name that um, I'm using is intellectual offense. Many times when we're disappointed as believers, we become intellectually offended. And that simply means that all of those questions we talked about earlier, the questions are good, but sometimes those questions if we're reasoning out them out and if we're worrying and if we're focusing on those questions, they can block our ability to trust in the unseen. It's like there's this offense is a stumbling block. The word offense, word offense means a stumbling block. And an intellectual offense has to do with your thinking. So all this thinking, all of these questions, all of that stuff, and all of the questions in the thinking often has to do with what you're seeing in, the, in your life. The, the symptoms, the pain, the doctor's report, the not seeing the results, all that. It's in your face. And all of those um, questions can keep you from trusting in the unseen. You got all this stuff in the seen realm, all of the questions, all of the reasoning, and it can be a stumbling block to trusting in the unseen now, I'm going to give you two biblical examples of that. The first one is John the Baptist. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. So we know John the Baptist. He was, he was ordained before birth to be a prophet, to be set aside, to be that prophet that was, that was talked about hundreds of years before that would prepare the way of the Lord. And he did. He was separated at birth. He was, when he was at that age, in his 30s or whatever, he's the one that was out there preaching a, a, a message of repentance of sin to prepare the people for Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he knew it was Jesus. He was absolutely convinced. God had said, when you see the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, you'll know it's the Messiah. And when that happened, he was so excited. And he told everybody, this is him. This is the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus asked to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he says, I can't do that. I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, yes, you need to, to fulfill everything. And then later, John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. So I think John the Baptist was convinced. But listen to the scripture. Matthew 11, starting with verse 2. 
And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to, to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? He was questioning. This man who knew that he knew that he knew who Jesus the Messiah was, was now questioning whether he was right or wrong. That's what we're talking about in here today. We know the truth about healing. We know Jesus is the healer. And yet sometimes we question, well, am I right or wrong? Am I missing it? What am, what's going on here? Look at what Jesus said. He answered and he said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's kind of a harsh word. Jesus goes back and he gives them all of the miraculous evidence that, yeah, I'm the one. But then he said, blessed is he who's not offended. Blessed is he who doesn't have a stumbling block. We, when we're in the midst of living in quite, with those questions, with those unanswered questions, it's so important not to let that intellectual offense get in the way to keep you from trusting God. My way of trusting God, you guys know this, because I talk about it all the time, is to give up my right to understand. That's the easiest. I don't even try to figure it out. I just say, I trust you, God. And with all my heart, I just put my eyes on him and I say, I trust you. I don't have to understand. I just trust you. The next example I want to give you is an, another common example. It's Matthew 13. And this is the example of when he was in his hometown, Jesus was in his hometown, and people didn't receive from him. So it starts in verse 54, chapter 13, verse 54. And coming to his own country, Nazareth, Jesus taught in their synagogue so that they were amazed with bewildered wonder and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Now here comes the questions. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And do not all his sisters live here among us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. They were repelled and hindered from acknowledging his authority. So here's Jesus. Jesus, the one who's casting out demons and healing the sick with the authority of, the, of God and the Holy Spirit's anointing on him. And they're questioning him. They're saying, where did he get that? And they can't accept it. They were caused to stumble. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not do many works of power there because of their unbelief their lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. So that stumbling block caused them to have unbelief. We talked about unbelief a couple weeks ago. It's like the opposing force of faith. And they negate, even if you have this amazing faith, if you also have unbelief, they can counterbalance or negate one another. And the net uh, result is a zero. So they were in unbelief. The offense put them in that place of unbelief. They were, they were short-circuited. They may have had faith, but their faith was short-circuited. But now I want to give you two examples, biblical examples, of people who had every opportunity to have a stumbling block, but they didn't. They chose to trust God anyway. The first example is Abraham. And this is a, um, from the book of Hebrews, um, the book of faith, the Faith Hall of Fame. And we know the story of Abraham, the father of faith, and how he waited all of those years to have Isaac. And we know the amazing faith he stood in. Even when there was no hope, he still believed. But look at this scripture. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So here's Isaac, who, I'm sorry, Abraham, who had the promised son, finally, the seed that was going to be the, 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 the descendants as much as the sand on the seashore and the stars in heaven. 
And God says, I want you to sacrifice him. He didn't even waver. When you read the scriptures, like the next morning, he was up and on his way with Isaac in the, in the wood. And, and it says, why was he believing? Why did he do that? Why did he go and immediately obey and choose to offer Isaac? Because he concluded that God was going to raise him up. He had a promise. And he trusted in that promise no matter what. Even if God had to raise him from the dead, he knew that his son was going to be that, that one to carry on the seed. He knew it. He didn't get... Do you think he had the opportunity for offense? To have those questions that blocked his ability to trust? Yeah. None of us as moms or dads, I don't think, could do what Abraham did. So that's one amazing example. The second example I want to share with you is Matthew 15 about the Canaanite woman. So this is a woman who wasn't part of the chosen race. She wasn't an Israelite. And this is before Jesus paid the price for all of mankind, for Gentiles and Jews to receive the fullness of his salvation. So this woman wasn't under the, the covenant blessing. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So this woman has a need. She loves her daughter. She cares about her daughter. She wants her daughter healed. I'm sure she's seen Jesus and known his reputation. So she's going for it. She's doing everything she can do. But he answered her not a word. He didn't even respond. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. A lot of reasons for her to have a stumbling block here. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She didn't stop. She continued to press forward. And she worshipped him. In the midst of being not answered, in the midst of the disciples saying, Leave me, leave him. In the midst of Jesus saying, I didn't come for you. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. She worshipped him. And again, she said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Another opportunity to have a block. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then... Jesus answered and said, O oh woman, great is your faith. He only says that twice in the whole, all four Gospels, and this is one of them. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. No matter what, she chose to trust him anyway. Those questions didn't get in the way. Those things that were said didn't put a block or an offense to keep her from trusting God and believing in him. So, we looked at, we're going to shift now, but I just want to recap. We looked at hopelessness. We looked at the infection. We looked at the bait of Satan. We looked at some of the symptoms that can point to that infection in your heart. But now we want to look at the, the, the cure, and it's all about Jesus. We're going to look at being hopeful. Hopeful means full of hope. And bottom line is, if you're a believer, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, you are full of hope because you have the living hope in you. You tabernacle Jesus. And this hope, this is the real object of our hope. This is the true object of hope. Can be totally realized. In other words, Jesus is here. His promises are yes and amen, the work is finished, and this hope that is in here can be totally realized in your life, in the healing of your body, in the restoration of your family or your finances or whatever it is that you're in the need of. Your hope can be realized when you have your focus on the object of your hope, which is Jesus. I want to read this scripture that I referred to already, Colossians 1.27. The scripture that, that we recite or we repeat as Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Listen to this. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation, the hope of glory. 
This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Isn't that awesome? We have this mystery embedded within us, a treasure chest of hope. Christ in us is like a treasure chest. The best treasure you can even begin to imagine is in us. We have everything that we need. And one of the words that's used in this is the word glory, the hope of glory. That word glory, I looked it up. I mean, when I think of glory, I think of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. But when I looked it up, there was also a definition in a concordance that referred to us. Not just to God, but to us. And that word glory, when it refers to us receiving it, means a most glorious condition of blessedness. A most glorious condition of blessedness. Christ in us, the most glorious condition of blessedness. You can't get more blessed than that. And we, that's who we are. As I've been preparing this, I've just been in my prayer time just sitting and thinking about that. Because we can't tangibly see, and we don't, we can't always feel. Sometimes we do. I love it when we do. But we don't always feel God in us. But just to sit and meditate on that truth, that the living God, the living hope is in me. I carry him everywhere I go, and so do you. I think that's important for all of us to take time to meditate on because it just rises up and strengthens us and, and our hope becomes more living and more alive. Another scripture I wanted to share with you is Psalm 39, 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Is the Lord the object of your hope? It says when he is, he'll strengthen our heart. The Proverbs 13 scripture says hope deferred makes the heart sick. This says, when we hope in the Lord, our heart is strong, not sick. Our soul is strong. We become courageous instead of hopeless. But that's because our focus is in the right place. The object of our hope is the living hope in us. It's God. It's his word. It's his promises. It's Jesus. It's finished work. That's the object of our hope. So what I want to do now, and this is the last thing I want to do before we pray, I want to share some medicine. If you're sick, you take medicine. Well, sometimes. Sometimes you don't need to. But many times, if you have an infection or a a bug of some kind, you go to the doctor and get an antibiotic, and you take the medicine and get better. So if you have a spiritual infection, if the enemy is trying to get you to buy the, the bait of hopelessness, which is a spiritual infection, we're going to take some good medicine, some spiritual medicine. So I've got three Three different medicines, pieces of medicine. And the first one is choice. Hope is a choice. Remember, this all has to do with our heart, our, a sick heart or a strong heart. Our heart is our soul, and our soul has one of its parts is choosing. Our mind, our will and our emotions. So we have a choice. We can choose to hope. There's a scripture. There's two, two chapters in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 42 and 43. There's many others, but this is the one I really want to zero in on. Many times in the book of Psalms, the psalmist is crying out in despair. They're not all praising God. I don't know if you've noticed that, but some of those psalms are kind of Whoa, everything's terrible in those psalms. That's because the psalmist is going to God. He's his daddy. Back then, they didn't know God as father. We do now. But this amazing God, and they would go to their God and tell him all their issues. And it's in the book of Psalms. But in this particular two chapters, 42 and 43, the psalmist is just crying out to God in despair. Everything's going wrong, and it has to do with enemies that are attacking was probably King David. I looked and I didn't see it was written by David. I didn't do that much research. But this much I do know. In the middle of the psalm, this verse is repeated three times. The one that's up on the screen is repeated 
three times. So he cries out to God in despair, tells God all of his problems. Then he stops, and the psalmist says, Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And then he talks about his problems some more. And then he stops and says this again. And then he talks about his problem to God some more. And then he stops and says this again. So what I see this psalmist do is he's making a choice. He's choosing to stop and say, I'm going to put my hope in God. The object of his hope is going back to the true object of hope. And he's saying, I will praise. I will praise again. Okay, here I am in the midst of this problem. I'm going to, I'm going to get up and I'm going to praise again. I'm going to choose to hope. And then he even says, I'm going to praise my Savior and my God. You might want to use this for a, a declaration for yourself and put in that last line specifically what you need. My healer and my God, my peace and my God, my strength and my God. What attribute of God do you need at that moment? Put that in that scripture and just pour out your heart to God with it. So that's the first thing. Make a choice to be hopeful, to hope. Here's another beautiful scripture, Psalm 27:13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So in Proverbs 13, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this person, this psalmist is saying, I would have been there. I would have had a sick heart. I would have lost heart. Except I chose to hope. I put my hope in the goodness of God. Remember, a sick heart is one that no longer believes that God's good or that questions the goodness of God or that thinks that maybe it's, it's, they're, they're attributing to God the enemy's attributes. But this, this scripture says, I believed in the goodness of God, and I believed I was going to see the goodness of God here in the land of the living. Amen. Amen. So choose to hope. Number two, go to God. This is a big one. Go to God and be gut level honest with him just like the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43. Go to God and talk to him. It's okay. He loves you. He's your father. He wants you to come to him and tell him where you're hurting and why you're hurting and why you're disappointed and what it appears like isn't happening. Sometimes stuff's happening you don't know is happening. A whole lot is happening that you're not even aware of. But you say, God, this is what it looks like to me. Help me with this. I don't understand. Go to him and talk to him. Be gut-level honest with him. And then listen. Stop and listen. Stop and listen. Ask him for a promise. Ask him for a word. And you may get a word. You may not. Even if you don't get a word, trust that he's loving on you. Trust that he cares. And if you do get a word, if he does share a scripture or open up a scripture to you, or if he does encourage you or love on you or just pour out his presence, whatever, write it down. Journal it. Write it down. And then meditate on that, that, that gift that he's given to you. Let that fuel you. Let that help you through that time. Third thing, number three. Renounce. Actually, I have more than three things. I have four. The third thing is to renounce the hopelessness. So you have made a choice to hope. You've gone to God. You've talked to him about it. You've asked him for a word. The third thing, and this is really important, is to reject, to disown that lie of hopelessness. If the enemy has tried to take some real estate in your heart, you want to evict him. So we're going to do some spiritual warfare. This is taking the authority you have as a believer. And telling that hopelessness to get out. But along with hopelessness, there are some other things that you might want to make sure that you're tuning into. For example, what is your mindset? Is your mindset skewed? Have you been thinking about the wrong things? Have you been questioning the goodness of God? Have you been 
um, questioning yourself, looking internal instead of upward. Where is your mindset? Where is your thinking been? You may need to reject that mindset and begin to replace it. So what, look at your mindset. Look at your thought patterns. Have you been thinking very negatively? Have you been in a downward spiral of negativity? Have you been looking at the worst case scenario? Have you been listening to those doctor's reports, focusing on it so much that that's in the center of your vision instead of the word of God? So where have your thought patterns been? What about your emotions? Have you been in a deep place of darkness or depression or anger or something like that? So look, take a look at your emotions and then look at your behaviors. What have your behaviors been? Have you smiled lately? You know, that's a big one. So look at all of those things. And then after you've assessed all of those, make a choice to reject, to disown, to renounce anything that is not of the truth. And what I want to do right now is I've got, and I, I put this in your handout because I wanted you to be able to have this at your fingertips. So I am just going to lead you through a renunciation of hopelessness. But you can fill that blank in with specifics like depression or discouragement or confusion or whatever fits with what's going on in your life. But I'm just going to use a general um, lie of hopelessness right now. So repeat after me. I renounce the deceptive lie of hopelessness. Amen. I break all ties and I cancel every agreement that I have made with the lie of hopelessness that has infected my life. I command you, spirit of hopelessness, to remove your foothold from my life and leave me now in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood. I will no longer partner with you, spirit of hopelessness. I break your assignment over my life and I claim back all ground and authority that the enemy has stolen. Amen. 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 So what we're doing right now is using the authority we have as a believer to say, enemy, you got to get out of the air in this area. You have to leave. Cease and desist. You're giving that, that uh, thing that's had uh, land that's been resident in your heart, you're evicting him. You're the landlord. You're saying, get out. Okay. So then the next thing is to replace it. You've told hopelessness to go. You have authority to do that. Now we're going to replace it with hope. And this is where I have the three pieces. First of all, stop complaining and count your blessings. This is how we're replacing hope. We're starting to build a new a strong tower and we're going to stop complaining and count our blessings it's so important to feed your heart on what God is doing what his word says he's done instead of what it appears he's not doing so keep your eyes on the faithfulness of God what he has done don't keep your focus on what you haven't yet seen. Keep your focus on what you have seen. Many times in the midst of your journey, there are little pieces that you've seen along the way. Keep those in front of you. Recite them out loud. They're powerful. They're going to build you up. If you don't have your own good news, look at other people's testimonies and say, God, you did that for this person. You did that for this person. Feed on testimonies. Let them build you up. The second thing is to celebrate the goodness of God. Remember, the goodness of God is bedrock. If you're, if you're questioning the goodness of God, that's sickness, that's spiritual sickness. So celebrate that God is good. And celebrate in the very area that you're in need of. Celebrate his goodness in that very area. And be radical. This is when you're going to get radical with your praise. What is it you need? Do you need healing? Do you need freedom from the symptom or the pain? Do you need freedom from the, the depression or the oppression of the enemy? What is it that you need? Whatever it is, praise God because he is the answer. Praise him that he's the healer. Praise him that he's your strength. Praise him that he's your peace. 
Whatever that thing is that you need, just get radical in your praise for him. Go to um, YouTube. Find music. Find songs specifically about that thing that you need right now. I often, if God gives me a song for you, I text it to you. I'm always texting people songs. This is for you. Praise God with a song right now. And get radical. Bill Johnson says that the more extreme your need, the more extreme that cloud of oppression is on you, the more radical your praise needs to be. So get radical. Go in your bedroom, shut the door, and get radical. Go in your car, turn up the music, and make yourself look crazy to everybody driving by. Get radical with your praise. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is to receive God's peace. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's the gut level honest with God. That's where we go to God, give him our heart, pour out everything. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But notice it talks about peace of God that surpasses understanding. The only way to get that peace is to give up your right to understand. It literally bypasses, surpasses understanding. Let go of your reasoning. Let go of your need to understand and trust God. And that peace will guard your heart and your mind. Here's a beautiful declaration, and it is on your handout. I don't need to understand, Father, but I must have your peace. That peace will guard your heart. That peace becomes a defensive shield around you to guard you from that spiritual infection of hopelessness. But it doesn't just guard your heart. It's also a weapon. It's also offensive because you have the word of God, all of these hope things, building your hope. You have the word of God that's the sword of the spirit. You have the words that God has given you. So you have defensive weapon. You have offensive weapon. Okay, now, desire fulfilled. This is a scripture that you referred to earlier when you opened. I'm going to, well, not quite, but I'm going to share it in just a second. Because Holy Spirit knew. Isn't he good? Okay, Proverbs 13, 12, once again. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. When the desire, when the hope is realized when Jesus is the living hope in you, and that's your focus. Realized hope becomes readily available. You are a tree of life. John 15, 7. There's a lot of conditions in this. It's really interesting. The next three or four scriptures I'm reading, you're going to hear conditions to having your desire fulfilled. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You'll ask whatever you desire, and it'll be done for you. Desire fulfilled is conditional upon abiding in him and letting his word abide in you. Abiding permanently in him and let his rhema, his word, his promise, that word that he gives you when you go to him and say, God, I need a word, letting it abide in you. The promise is that when you do, your desire will be fulfilled. The next psalm, Psalm 37.4, delight yourself unto the Lord, also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Desire fulfilled. But it is conditional upon, can you go to the next slide, please, honey? It's conditional upon delighting yourself in the Lord. And the last scripture, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Notice, the Lord is the object of the hope. We trust in the Lord. The Lord is our hope. The Lord is our confidence. And when that's in place, there's all sorts of good news. Then we become like trees planted um, by, the, by a riverbank. That's the tree of life. We become trees deeply rooted and planted with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. 
So we trust in the Lord. We hope in him. And look at all this good news. We have roots that go deep. The root is the word deep in us. It becomes who we are. It becomes more real than that doctor's report. It becomes more real than the symptoms. It becomes more real than anything. It goes deep and we are nourished. It says then, it says, we're not bothered by the heat. So when the enemy comes and tries to get us to buy the lie of hopelessness, we don't buy it. When we trust in the Lord, when we hope in the Lord, when our confidence is in him, when the living hope is our focus. And then it says, we're not worried by long months of drought. So in that time period, and we don't any of us like the time periods, we all like the suddenlies, and we all like the miraculous immediate healings. But if we don't have that miraculous immediate healing, we're not worried, we're not anxious during that long, those months of drought. And then comes the, the realized hope. The leaves stay green and we never stop producing fruit. That's health. That's divine healing, divine health, divine life. That's what Jesus came to give us. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read that declaration right now that's in the box at the bottom of your paper. I want you to just read it with me. This is a declaration based on Jeremiah 17. I trust you, Lord. You are my hope and my confidence. I am like a tree planted along a river bank. I am well nourished with roots of your truth that are deeply and firmly established in my heart. I will not be bothered by the heat of the enemy's deception. I will not allow his lies to lead me away from you. I am not worried or anxious or fearful during long months of drought. Instead, I stand firm and simply defend the healing that Jesus obtained for me at the cross. I am a tree of life. I receive hope and I believe that the object of my hope will be manifested in my life. I will never stop producing fruit. I am victorious through Jesus and his completed work. Amen. 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 That's a good declaration to take home and just meditate on. Let's